0: morning you're listening to Two 2XXFM 98.3 on local current affairs program Subject ACT where we explore local current affairs from a curious and informed perspective. My name is Becca Posterino, presenter of the program and we welcome Kim Valla, Subject ACT's newest presenter. Welcome Kim. Thanks Becca. Today we explore the complexity of parenthood and what it feels like when we are challenged by our children's behavior. We invite psychologist Emma Prime to help us understand how to best transform some of the feelings of guilt, judgment and shame into
1: curiosity. Some schools in the ACT have a zero tolerance policy towards bullying. This means if your child is hit in the playground, they could face exclusion and or punishment. We explore the effectiveness of zero-tolerance approaches and whether we are missing opportunities to restore relationships between peers. And, just as important, we want to explore how parents and carers can effectively manage their own emotional responses when dealing with schools about these issues. Welcome, Emma. Good morning. Thank you for having me. We also welcome Nana Jibaeley, mother of two teenage boys, who was recently confronted by her school's zero tolerance policy. She'll share her story and insights. Welcome, Nana. Thank you, Nana. Tell us what happened at your son's school.
2: Okay, so my son was in a bit of a well, a fight. Let's just call it what they called it. <laughs> um, and the policy at the school is doesn't matter who incited it or who was the victim. It Either way, both parties are suspended. And so when I received the call that, uh, the telephone call, that my child not only had been injured but also suspended, it was kind of, I don't know what to react to first because it was all at once. And so I was informed that I needed to come get him immediately, but not because he was hurt because he'd been in the fight and he was suspended and no longer allowed on school premises.
0: Can I just clarify a point? Sorry to Mm -hmm. interrupt, Nana. Your son was hit.
2: Yes. He didn't hit back. No, he didn't hit back because that's how I'd raised both. Well, that's how I raised both my children is we don't hit. You know, that's how things are done sure. in our house you don't hit there's always a better way to resolve conflict we talk about things even if someone says something that's hurtful there's ways around it we can always fix it but by hitting someone you've lost the chance to be able to resolve that issue in the first place and it becomes something completely different it's now about the violence the physical interaction rather than the verbal insult or whatever it was that happened previously mm. my son had actually said something to this boy and we won't get into that sure. so you know being 15 year olds don't know what exactly was said and then so they got into an altercation and your son was hit he was hit repeatedly in the head I might add repeatedly so, in the head yeah
1: so how's your son now
2: oh much better a little bit bruised but you know thankfully they said it was superficial and hopefully nothing will come of mm-hmm. it and oh, we have to keep an eye on it and when it did happen though um, i had to monitor him for 24 hours and it was the longest 24 hours you're of in my a hospital,
0: life Nana, we, w-
2: yeah i took him to the emergency ward because i wanted to make sure because it was a head injury so naturally mm-hmm. you're like well he may look okay on the outside but you never know it's it's complicated it's very complex once mm. it, you know it's internal how did he, how did this
1: impact on you as a parent, Nana?
2: Well, when I got called into the school I was I wasn't worried about the suspension as much as being told that my son had possibly a head injury and he'd been physically hit so my first instinct was to go and see if he was alright. I wanted to know, you know, to see him. When I arrived at the front office and I said, Oh, you know, I'm so and so's mum, I'd like to see my son the front office lady was like, "Oh, okay, thanks for coming." Mm. And I was like, "Okay," mm. and waited for a little bit, and then so after a while, the deputy principal approached me and said, "Oh, you know, would you know, I'm so and so. Would you follow me?" I at this point thought she was taking me to my son. Instead, she took me to her office to have a chat, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh." where's my son can I see my son she goes oh you want to see him first and I'm like yes please so at this point it was kind of getting frustrated with the I don't know the casualness of it all at that point and it was like okay I rushed over there and I wanted to see my son anyway after seeing him and reassuring him that you know he's okay and whatever I assumed there was some kind of release forms or something I needed to do. Mm. Instead, we went back to the deputy principal's office and we had a chat about what um, my son had done. And she then said to me basically that he had asked for it. (laughs) And I said, I beg your pardon. She said, well, he actually said to him, okay, come on, fight me then. And I was like, oh... So he provoked him so that gave him the right to then go and hit him. That's how things are done and that's why he's suspended is because he asked for it.
1: Do you think there are other ways that the school could have handled this situation?
2: Well, firstly, the the way I was being dismissed and the I wasn't taken seriously, that was that made me angry rather mm. than maybe I wouldn't have been so upset if they had said, look, this is what happened. And even though your son didn't hit him, didn't even hit him back, this is what our policies are. Perhaps show me this is what happens. You know, it's a blanket policy. Everybody is treated the same, etc., etc. Perhaps then I wouldn't have been so angry mm. at the way I was dismissed. And I felt like she was basically judging me and looking at me like perhaps not only was it my son's fault, then maybe it was mine as well Mm. for not raising him properly. I don't know what she was thinking.
0: Emma, I'd like to invite you into the conversation now. We've just heard a pretty confronting experience from Mm. Nana and quite an emotional one. In respect of that, Emma, as a psychologist, is Nana's experience common? For parents and carers, is this, I guess, altercation or experience a common thing?
3: Yeah, well, unfortunately, I think it is becoming more so in using these zero-tolerance policies. Obviously, using, uh, as Nana said, a blanket approach, these standard predetermined consequences, they can lead to overreactions and, and unjust punishments. There's, you know, regardless of mitigating circumstances, situational context, or the gravity of someone's behaviour, all of these factors are just simply put aside and, you know, treated as just one-size-fits-all kind of solution to to these issues, which isn't the case. They simply lack... It just lacks common sense, really. And I think just as police officers are given, you know, a wide discretion in their powers of of citation and arrest, especially for for misdemeanours, you know, I think that, you know, the same kind of flexibility should be provided, uh, mm. in schools in these situations as well, uh, so that things are looked at on more of a case by case basis mm. and, um, and, you know, there's more subjective assessment used to determine what would be an appropriate consequence.
2: You're absolutely right because my son had never been in trouble before for other than talking in class. So from Year 7 to Year 9, that was the first time I'd ever been telephoned mm. Mm. um other than one time he'd been hurt at the school and that was a different incident. But I've never received a phone call. I had no idea what the process was. And to be all of a sudden told, he went from, you know, maybe being told off in class for talking too much, mm. disrupting class, to now my son is being suspended. Mm. It's a big leap. It is a huge leap. And I said, where is prior... Offences, because that's, you know, the term, terminology used is also like, perhaps my son is in prison and I wasn't aware of, you know, mm. just, yeah, the terminology, um, so offences. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, what's his prior history? What's his, you know, what has he, have you ever, you know, witnessed any violent nature or anything like that? And they go, no, 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 that's not the point.
3: I think the other problem with zero tolerance policies in schools in particular, Is that before the age of 15, adolescents actually display psychosocial immaturity in four key areas, which are poor resistance to peer influence, attitudes towards and perception of risk, future orientation and impulse control. So basically, they're more likely to be influenced to peer pressure, act impulsively, take greater risks and to reason less adequately about the consequences of their behavior. And zero tolerance policies just take none of this into, into um, consideration that there's actually neurological developmental issues here at play yes, which mm. need to be considered. Mm. We need to have a far more nuanced
0: approach to addressing and confronting the conflict, it seems, because as you say, there's factors at play here that can't just be judged on face value. They need to be addressed individually and independently and I think in your case with your son's history who had no history of prior convictions within the school it's very difficult as a mother to hear this terminology as you say Mm -hmm. and to somehow remain level-headed I would imagine as a mother of two myself I would have been emotional and I'm in no way criticizing although I'm questioning the zero tolerance as an effective measure
1: and I think we have to be really careful about the language that we use and not criminalising the you know, children's behaviour by using this language without understanding the con- consequences of it.
2: And potentially tarnishing their reputations, mm-hmm. their and then all of a sudden in their head, well, oh, I've had offences and yeah. all sorts mm-hmm. of, you know, languages yeah. going through their yeah. self esteem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. you oh.
1: You're listening to Two 2XXFM 98.3, Canberra's iconic and independent community radio station. The program is Subject ACT, where we delve into local current affairs from a curious gaze. We were listening to Lean On Me by Bill Withers. And before, that was our conversation with psychologist Emma Prime and mother of two, Nana Jabaili talking about conflict at school and how best to address conflict as teachers and also how best to manage our potential feelings of shame and judgment as parents and carers. Stay with us now for more of our conversation on local current affairs program Subject ACT on Two XFM 98.3, Canberra's most treasured community radio station.
3: Emma, could I ask, why do we judge parents? Look, I think part of it is that we... All have self-doubt. That's not uncommon, I think, among many people. And there's no instruction manual uh, that covers everything for parenting. And so, how do we know how we're doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really hard to kind of assess that. And I guess one way, uh, which also potentially gives us a bit of an ego boost as well, is to give advice. What's the fun in having all the experience and all the wisdom if we can't share or indeed impose that on mm-hmm. other people? And you know, it just makes us feel good. Unfortunately, uh, it can make us feel good, even superior, to judge or criticise others because you know we know better. Mm. You know, um, that kind of gives us that that boost to our ego and that feeling of, and that's common in, in bullying as well. You know, often bullies uh, pick on other children to mm. boost their own self-esteem to feel good by putting someone else down.
0: Mm.
3: Emma, you use the
0: word chastise. I think this is a really kind of descriptive word of how we may feel when confronted with particularly judgment, maybe within ourselves, we chastise ourselves. And I think this is a really important principle. What does that mean? And how can that impact us in the way that we respond emotionally to confronting situations? To chastise is to, it's not really to humiliate, it's really to kind of, in in some way, it's to reprimand. Is is that what chastise is? It's, maybe it's not a direct um, reprimand, but it's, it's that connotation of, you know, wrongful doing. Yeah. And I think I'm, I'm imagining that may have been Nana's experience. I've, you know, I've had similar experiences as a, as a mother for minor incidents in the schoolyard, which had a profound effect. And they're such silly, simple, trivial, menial things. Mm. But you do have that sense of being chastised, like you're a, you know, like a you're little the bit one unfit. In trouble. Yeah, you're yeah. a bit,
2: you're, yeah. you're, you're, you're in trouble and, yes. and you're like, where did I go wrong? And then all of a sudden you're questioning, yeah, you're questioning everything from if you breastfed to bottle fed <laughs> and <laughs> you're going through different things. And it's like, oh, is it because I'm a single mother or mm-hmm. is it because I didn't buy him those shoes he wanted last week or it's different things go through your head. Absolutely. Um,
3: and it's partly that self doubt again, that telling ourselves off or feeling that, you know, we're being reprimanded. And, and, and we question all of our behaviors and parenting style and all of those kinds of things and wonder if we've, you know, could have done better. I think, you know, we're our own. Worst critics a lot of the time, and it's very easy for other people to feed into that by mm. having a a principal or a, a deputy or a teacher uh, questioning um, some of our our children's behaviours because that basically reflects straight back onto us, of course.
1: Mm. So, what if we were to turn turn it around and look at how effective zero tolerance policies are themselves, and whether there are actually any effective alternatives to zero tolerance policies
3: well i think we've we've kind of discussed already the that they're not particularly effective and indeed research there's not a lot on it it's very difficult to actually obtain it just through school privacy kind Mm -hmm. of issues but also schools have such a wide variety of zero tolerance policies for things and of course even though one of the reasons used for for introducing zero tolerance policies is is to try and uh, have some consistency, mm. of course there's a lot of inconsistency mm-hmm. in actually interpreting uh, you know what is actually bullying behavior mm-hmm. you know as versus just a child being silly mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for example. Or you know how does one determine what is actually a threat or a risk if in the absence of a of a chart that kind of defines those things? Uh, so it's all very subjective uh, mm-hmm. in those ways, and of course um, the punitive nature mm-hmm. often actually causes um, potentially can cause more damage to children uh, and uh, the the bond that they may have with uh, you know teachers mm-hmm. in in the um, school. Alternatives. There are a number of actually well-proven alternatives in the research, and they centre around, you know, non-punitive, uh, preventative type of mm. strategies. So they include things like um, socio-social-emotional um, skills programs, mm-hmm. where they develop things like um, children's uh, interpersonal skills, communication skills, um, their emotional resilience, developing empathy. Uh, how to kind of you know um, put yourself in other children's shoes and how they might feel in situations just problem solving skills conflict resolution skills all those things that are great preventative things and and bolster children's emotional resilience and robustness and help mm-hmm. them to deal with these situations as nana said it preferably in a better way than than mm. fighting
1: yeah. uh, my nephew goes to a school in canberra and he um, he! He learnt about feelings through the concept of a bucket, mm. and we've got the, the bucket. The bucket. I, I love the bucket. <laughs> the bucket's great. The bucket gets thrown back at me all the time by my six-year-old. Be, because you're not filling the bucket. I'm you're not, not filling the, the bucket. bucket. <laughs> <laughs> but I like it because it, it it gives children responsibility. It shows them how to take responsibility for their feelings and how it gives them a language mm. uh, so that they can actually talk about it using this bucket metaphor.
2: familiar with the bucket. Yeah.
1: Well, the bucket is that. <laughs> Basically, we want to fill each other's buckets Mm. and make sure that our own buckets are full. Of positive okay, I was emotions. Say,
2: what are we putting in this bucket?
1: <laughs> good feelings. Good feelings. Positive emotions. And so, when we feel uh, compromised or hurt, we can talk about our. That's not filling my bucket, or, mm. you know, you know, I need you to fill my bucket. It, it just gives children something really concrete, <laughs> and
0: it empowers them because I think when they understand that you know it's a measurement device. I guess the bucket. It's like if you kids are very you know in a way. You know things are sort of black and white, and and if they have a full bucket, empty bucket, and if they can measure it in the in that sort of sense, they can see you know the impact their behaviour may have on another child or children, and vice versa. So I think that you know seemingly simplistic notion of that really is quite effective, and it transfers really well to a child. And I think that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to garner what and harness whatever methodology um, we can to help cultivate empathy and i think that's sort of at the heart of this issue is the the empathy whether it's in how teachers respond to kind of self-criticizing parents or whether you know whether it's towards a child that's simply made a bad choice i think there doesn't seem to be much space in this punitive approach Mm. for empathy and for deviating from you know black and white approach and i think that's really where the discussion orientates Mm -hmm. around Mm. and i i think i'm i'm really interested in in the culture of judgment in our sort of school system and and punitive systems more largely but it's that sort of judgmental approach whether you know you do this you will get this whether that in the research, in the sort of psychological realm, whether that research is proven to be effective. I, I wonder if that's something we can explore later or maybe you have something brief to say about that, Emma. If not, we can create a program at a late, later stage mm. because um, recently I did a, an interesting program on um, collaborative learning in prisons and mm. teachers, academic teachers were actually going into prisons and and students, academic students, were integrated with prison inmates
2: Oh, wow. through
0: Oxford and Cambridge and learning together and the outcomes were remarkable and it has those sorts of programs are spreading in the UK mm-hmm. and uh they're you know the interest is there in Australia and I'm not by me, no means saying that this connecting is connecting the I'm not connecting <laughs> the dots but I'm just saying it's it's that kind of I do see what you're saying yeah. yeah should children be involved in maybe defining the punishment maybe you know
2: oh definitely in in circumstances could could that be
0: an approach that is effective i'm not
2: sure i what i said to the principal later on when i spoke to him because the other thing is ah once you are suspended you don't just come back to school when it's once it's over you are integrated back into school and you have to have a re-entry discussion and meeting and and I'm like, so again, the whole prison thing yes. is in my head. Oh, yeah. so my son's going to be on probation. probation. Yeah, so my concern was, I said, what are you setting up your students, but, you know, especially my child, up for for when they leave high school? How are they going to resolve conflict? How are they going to deal with with real life? And once they leave these school gates, do you think if you hit somebody – it's going to be a suspension. That's not. That's not how it works. Mm. That's assault. And that boy or girl or whoever is hitting out on somebody, that's
1: assault, and they're going mm. to jail. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Emma. What tips would you give schools on how to manage or or respond to conflict
3: in the school context? Look, I think first and foremost, these zero tolerance policies. Um, we kind of need to replace those one-size-fits-all approaches um, with more of perhaps a a graduated continuum of consequences Mm. um, so that it's a matter of more, um, you know, choosing consequences that are more geared to the situation and, you know, and the seriousness of of what's actually happened. Mm. And I think part of this is in more carefully defining the range of infractions. So if we can kind of get those defined first, and then the appropriate means of handling each one of those. Um, and that's going to mean that you know, students are more protected uh, from inequitable consequences, mm. but also teachers are more protected from potential claims against them mm. of, of um, unfair and arbitrary you know, mm. consequences being imposed as well. The, the issue that I
1: have with the zero-tolerance approach is that it doesn't equip children with skills for life and it certainly yeah. doesn't equip them for exactly. managing relationships, say in the workplace. Yeah, let alone in the school context, where this
2: go ahead in your colleague.
1: That's right, and it, it's much easier. I would have thought to learn those skills in primary school, learn how to, and high school learn how to restore relationships rather than how to walk away, feel humiliated or mm. or embarrassed about what's happened, and not not learn anything practical. Yeah,
3: I think uh, absolutely. I think it's really important to for kids to be able to develop that sense of my voice can be heard. Yes. Um, my story will be listening. I have a side of my story and it's being taken seriously and considered in all of this. And these policies just simply kind of push all that aside and say, well, no, we don't care. It doesn't matter. This is what's going to happen as a result of this situation. And, um, and that's not how our society, what, what our society is based on and how it works. If, if you get arrested for something, you go to court and there's a whole process involved where you do get to present your side and mm. any mitigation and things like that. And, and that's, that's how things should operate.
1: And then there's the issue of not equating the children's behaviour with the parents' behaviour, and and separating that, and not feeling like you're being judged as a parent or that you're you've
3: somehow failed at, at parenting. Yes, absolutely. And I think, as I said, that's a bit tricky because you know any judgment on our children, we just naturally kind of take on board as a reflection of our own parenting, what we may or may not have done correctly and look you know you could raise your child perfectly but you know kids are going to be kids Uh, they're going to do silly things as we said neurologically and socially and emotionally Mm -hmm. they have a lot of development and we're not always great at teaching our kids those okay. things. You know, it takes time and effort to actually help them understand and explore feelings and be able to identify them in others, let alone ourselves, Absolutely. and how to then deal with that. That's mm. that's pretty tough stuff. And not all kids well, not all parents are great at teaching it yeah. or have the time to teach it. Yeah. Um, or uh, and, and kids, you know, pick up that stuff differently as well. Finally, Emma, this conversation could go on, and it hopefully will do
0: <laughs> again. But just for the moment, if listeners out there, families are struggling with issues in the school, what are some of the services, community
3: services that we can promote and advise? Sure. Uh, look, there's there's ParentLink for a start. There's also in each town centre uh, a child and family centre available, which provide ongoing support and, and various parenting programs. And uh, online, there's a Raising Children Network, which is an Australian parenting website with articles and videos, uh, right from pregnancy right through to teenagers and all the different topics and issues mm. uh, that might be involved there.
0: And I guess uh, if you know maybe teenagers want some anonymous advice, is there a service available where they could get phone counselling, for instance, if if there's a situation at school that they're not comfortable or ready to have
3: explore with their parents is there a service there for teenagers uh, there is a kids line mm-hmm. uh, that or that children can call uh, similar to lifeline okay um but it's obviously specifically for for children mm-hmm. and yeah so kids line is probably a good yeah. good starting point
0: emma prime psychologist canberra based how can we get in contact with you if
3: listeners are interested I'm at uh, Gangalan General Practice and they people can call there uh, mm-hmm. to get in touch with me. Yep, great.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much Emma. Thank you very much. Thank you. And Nana Jabaily, mother of two, thank you so much for sharing your very personal story on Subject for ACT. Me. Thank you. Well, we've come to the end of our program. You've been listening to 2XXFM 98.3 on Subject ACT. That concluded our discussion with Nana Jabaily and Canberra based psychologist Emma Prime. My name is Becca Posterino, the presenter of the program, and we welcomed Kim Vella. She is our new Subject ACT presenter. And uh, coming up tomorrow on Tuesday's edition of Subject ACT, it's Doug Dobing. And coming up next, Community Radio Network's Topical Storytelling All the Best. Join us each weekday, 8 30 till 9am on 2XXFM 98.3 or stream us live on www.2xfm.org.au backslash listen. I'm Becca Postorino, and you've been listening to Kim Baller for Subject ACT. Enjoy your day.